does that mean my ears are in your crotch? Um, yes, technically, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Gross, that's imagery I don't want in my head. I might make that, without context, I might make that the very opening couple of sentences for the show, and people can just infer what we were actually talking about before then, but we won't explain it. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, people shouldn't expect anything more or less of us. Exactly. Steve, I'm very happy right now. Yeah. Uh, because I no longer have, to, when I walk the streets of London, I no longer have to hear about how football is coming home. That's true. England did get locked out and their arch enemies, the French, um, just as we started to record, won the World Cup. Absolutely. It was fucking everywhere, Steve. I have I don't know whether this is the same every World Cup or when they do well, but it was fucking ubiquitous. The worst of it was, like it actually ruined a night's sleep I had. My next door neighbours, who I share a wall with, they came home drunk one night and started singing, it's coming home, it's coming home, it's coming, football's coming home. Uh, but they got stuck because of a one small a little amendment they made to the lyrics. They got stuck in an infinite loop because one of them would go, they would go, it's coming home, it's coming, where's football going, it's coming home. And that one <laughs> question that they posed within the lyrics meant that they kept going and they kept going and they kept going. I think it was like a gypsy curse was put on them and they could only stop and break the curse when England got knocked out. <laughs> they only stopped singing. <laughs> yeah, because well, it's they're dead. They died. They're all dead now. <laughs> they weren't able to drink. They weren't able to eat. They weren't able to do anything. No. They just sang themselves to death. Yeah. But anyway. Patriotic football tunes. I'm glad that song died to death. Oh, I never told you. <laughs> I was watching the uh, England-Sweden match. Uh, you're watching like, there's a big crowd of people around and everyone's like united and watching this wonderful display of athleticism and, and and sport but while watching this wonderful display uh i ended up throwing out my back by eating a pizza <laughs> this actually, Man down. This actually because there were so many we were in a bar and the only food they served was pizza and they get they gave to everyone like a big pizza box pretty standard but when we went outside to where we were standing like everyone was in such close proximity that I was standing there with this huge pizza box trying not to elbow into people. So I had to hold it at a diagonal angle while also holding my beer. But they didn't actually cut up the pizza. So I had to eat, imagine like standing, holding a pizza box, no table, trying to tear up the pizza into little bits while holding a beer in one hand, while pinching pieces, two individual bits of pizza in your hand and tearing it apart and then also eating it while bent over. And uh, I only realized when I put down the pizza box and I stood upright that I threw out my back. So what I'm saying is I don't deserve to have a body. I should just be a brain in a jar. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's the closest you're ever going to get to an actual sports ball injury. So <laughs> I need, send on a physio. <laughs> send on a physio, man down. <laughs> I didn't even, uh, yeah, I, the only time, most of the time when I sat down to watch a World Cup game, when it was on at the house, I usually just fell asleep. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We're, we're if not you guys are looking fans. for updates on what was going on, apart from just that we're happy it's over, uh, yeah, no, you've come to the wrong podcast. You're not going to get sport news here, Steve. Can we actually do some proper politics news? Uh, yeah, sure. So... You know our favourite President-in-Chief of Ireland, Miggle D. Higgins? Oh, Miggle D. Higgins, how's he doing? He is doing well, and so well, in fact, that he's decided that he would like to ask the people of Ireland if he can run for another seven years. Amazing. Well, not even run, sorry, run the country, be the president for another seven years. So is there anyone looking to challenge him? Well, here's the thing. So most, when pre- most of the time when Irish presidents decide to stand again for a second term, um, they actually usually don't get challenged. I think only one out of four times where the president has decided to stand again, they've been challenged. And all the other times, 
the political parties of the day decide there can't be arsed having an election, they huddle around the president, the president and using the nominee process, which is pretty strictly controlled by them, they stop someone else from rising up and challenging. Right. So that's usually how it works. Is it more of a, it's, so it's, a, it's kind of a matter of convenience then? Or? Essentially. Okay. They're just like, ah, well, the president hasn't done anything too bad. They appear, everyone is like, good, grand job. Yeah. They're not going to revolt because- <laughs> He hasn't mooned like, the UN or anything. Not yet. Perhaps he'll wait for the second term to do that, but then like he, he can't he can't run for a third term. I so feel like he's not? building to something and maybe that's it. Well, he will eventually reveal that he is in fact 100% full leprechaun. Well, a, man, a man can dream. He is basically just saying, I'm putting myself forward as an independent candidate. Now, Steve, you can do a better Michael D impression than that. I'm putting myself forward as an independent candidate. <laughs> Excellent. That's actually really good. Uh, I got the accent wrong a little bit there. That was a bit too much carry, not enough Galway. <laughs> anyway, um... The problem is, is that these days people are less adverse, yeah, less inclined to just let politicians have things easy. Mm. So it is very likely that other politicians or famous people will get nominations to, be, to run for the president against them. So you need 20 members of the Oireachtas, be they senators or TDs, to sign your nomination forms, then you get to run. Mm-hmm. Or three county councils can back you with a vote. Um, so it looks like there's enough independents and party non or party members willing to break their party's instructions to actually sign forms for a handful. There's a couple, there's two independent senators. I can't remember their names. Mm-hmm. They're essentially only known at the moment because they're telling everyone they want to run for the president. <laughs> okay. There is an artist from my hometown, Kelly Beggs, a guy called Kevin Sharkey, who I think the only reason anyone would know him is because he was uh, briefly in an episode of Father Ted. Who was he in Father um, Ted? He's he's actually black. He's, he's oh, I know him already. Yeah, uh, he, and then I think Mrs. Doyle asks, "What's the weather like in Africa, Father?" And he turns around with his big, heavy Donegal accent and he goes, "Hey, should I know? I'm from Donegal." <laughs> Excellent, it's a great joke. So he wants to run for the president as well. He, as far as I know, has zero chance of even getting a nomination. Um, if he play, if he plays up the Father Ted angle, he might do better than you think. Perhaps, perhaps. But yeah, most of the time he's going on about being an artist these days, though. So like, like what kind of artist? Like, I don't know, arty shirts, paintings and stuff. I'm spending too much time talking about Kevin Sharkey. (laughs) Yeah, okay, let's quickly move on. There's also Sean Gallagher, who nearly won last time, but just got scuppered at the very end by admitting that he did take brown envelopes on behalf of Fianna Fáil. Oh, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, he's actually, he's canvassing um, to try and get nominated again. Mm -hmm. And Sinn Féin have decided they are going to back a candidate. Um, They haven't decided who it will be. But likely it's going to be someone that hasn't really heard of before. And it's probably going to be, they're going to run on like the cross-border agenda of having a united Ireland. Right, okay. So the, the, it sounds like there will be an election okay. for the presidents. Mickey D will have to run, but it is going to be very surprising if he doesn't sweep the board and come home easily. Absolutely. Their Trump has been on tour. I noticed. Last I, week. I yeah. was here. You went to, yeah, in London, you went to protest. I went to it, yeah. I didn't, I wanted to go earlier on the day, but I couldn't get off work early to, to see the whole... Uh, prayed with the balloon and everything, uh, but I went down to Trafalgar Square for the main protest. And cr- did you get a good few? It was a good few boos. Uh, yeah, a couple of boos. Uh, no, yeah, it was it was fu- fucking intense. I couldn't even get anywhere close to where Jeremy Corbyn was speaking when I showed up, uh, and I couldn't get anywhere close to 
or he was. Not that I was trying to, but it wasn't to take a shot. <laughs> no, uh, but it was it was it was crazy, crazy packed. Um, some really creative uh, signs as well. Some really fucking yeah. wonderful signs. And then um, great costumes as well. Great uh, friend of the show, Lena Norms, went dressed as uh, one of the handmaids. Amazing. With the reds. Yeah, it was really cool. Amazing. Um, I he s- was also... I saw, sorry, oh, just while we're on the, on the topic, I saw a pile of uh, discarded... Uh, protest signs, a great number of which were talking about how Trump is damaging the environment, and a bunch of those were just thrown oh, on the ground. Oh, the irony! I know. People, come and what's on, worse than that on. was I saw like three photographers like kneeling down on the ground, presumably trying to take artsy black and white photos of these that would appear on their medium blogs. <laughs> you got the best one though. Didn't I got you, the Richie? best one. So check out my medium blog. <laughs> Um, so that was the, those people in the UK protesting against his, his working visit to the UK where he met the Queen which apparently has been a dream and holy shit he is such an awkward guy it was just excruciating watching him trying to walk in front of the Queen in front of a bunch of soldiers oh, God. it was just ridiculous yeah. um, just before he met Theresa May he gave an interview to the tabloid The Sun criticising everything to do with her Brexit policy of course. and then I think he went up to sell the showcases golf course in Scotland where some people booed him there as he was playing golf. And I think the baby the baby balloon followed him up there as well. <laughs> Amazing. Just before he went to the UK though, though, he did have a stopover at the NATO summit, uh, annual summit of all the NATO leaders. Um, he spent a bit of time criticising the other members about their spending, saying that America is tired of spending 4% of its GDP when all the other members won't spend anything near their mandated 2% mm. of um so and he's basically saying why does america have to pay for europe's security but he's been saying that for a long time and it wasn't actually as bad as everyone had expected it to be it wasn't bad as the wto so it looks like trump might be listening to the advice of his generals saying that nato kind of has to hang around for america's interests as much as anything else right but the top it all off he is currently either on his way or by the time you listen to this it will have been over but he is going to meet Vladimir Putin president of Russia at a summit in Finland so refresh my memory because it feels like we talk about Trump so much I can't keep events straight in my head has he met him face to face in his capacity as US president yet he has met him twice okay. at, at the sidelines of other large events right okay this is his first um, leader on leader summit where the specific intention of them meeting is to have like a, a cage fight or yeah, <laughs> probably not. A big hug. Putin <laughs> like a, would destroy a, him in a cage fight. I don't know. Uh, Trump's got a lot of size and weight on him. <laughs> he just, just, he just sits on him. <laughs> yeah, like a big angry baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he can call himself. The baby, the tangerine toddler. <laughs> uh, so a lot of people are criticizing the fact that Donald Trump is spending so much time criticizing all the democratic leaders of the world and trying his best to meddle in their politics with terrible remarks. Mm while also saying that Putin, the terrible autocrat and dictator, is fantastic and have no problem turning up and shaking his hand and Mm. giving him all the attention he wants. And just as he was going over, Robert Mueller, the fellow who's investigating Russia's activities in the US presidential campaign of 2016 that got Trump elected, indicted 11 specific Russians um, on credible charges of of meddling in the elections. Mm. So it's very bad timing for Trump to be going over and high-fiving a Russian leader. Absolutely. But he doesn't give a shit. Trump do... (laughs) Trump do what Trump do do. Yeah, why would he change that now? No, never will. Mm. So, third story is Brexit. There's been a shit ton of shit going on about Brexit. But I'm actually going to pull a fast one on the listeners of What on Politics and invite them to go to my other podcast, (gasps) Newsy, where there will be two episodes in the feed. One of them is 
an episode of two interviews with a Lever and a Remain supporter about the different parts of Brexit. And then a second one is with Very Clever People panel show talking about all the politics that have been going on the last week, including Sophie Jarvis of the Adam Smith Institute and Ray, John. Friends of the show. have been on the show. Friends of the show. And a literal friend of mine, Brian Mahan, who uh, runs Paddy Wants to Know Brexit, which is another Headstuff podcast. Fantastic. about Brexit. You, so, you know what my dream is, Steve, that <laughs> we can just outsource more and more of what I'm politics to other podcasts so that every two weeks when you download what I'm politics, you just get me going, it, it go over there. <laughs> go to, if you want to know more about this show, go to this. this the, 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 the. And eventually, yeah. it's just, no, eventually it's just, you download an MP3 and it's me going, go away. <laughs> what are you doing here? Get out of here. Right. Highest, no, download, no. highest ranked podcast on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like the boring podcast is doing really well. It could be the equivalent of that. It could be like the fuck off podcast. What's the boring podcast? It's just like a really boring podcast. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Uh, so that's it that's the news that's all that has happened nothing else has happened if anybody told you something else happened they're, they're lying. lying yeah every two weeks three things happen uh, but what are we going to talk about now uh, well people know because of the episode title in the feed it's and it's direct democracy it's direct democracy this is something we've talked about before we touched on, on it a little bit with Sam Conifayande when we chatted about the pirate episode he was a Did big, oh, yeah, big fan true, of yeah. participatory democracy that is true. That is true. Yeah. There's a lot of people that think it's a very good idea. Um, just to give it like a once over, because we do we do do it in the episode when we're talking to our guest expert, um, Rosalind Fuller, who is an advocate for direct democracy and actually mm. puts herself forward to stand in Irish elections to try and implement like practical direct oh, democracy. Very much a means. money where her mouth is kind of individual. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She has got no bones about saying that this is the this is I, I believe so much in the system that I will actually give up my evenings to put leaflets through your door to try and get you to vote for me mm-hmm. so we can all have a better world. If only more politicians were like that. If only. Although she, but here she doesn't are. want any politicians. Yeah. <laughs> so it, rather than the representative style governments that we have now, where we have these elections every couple of years and then elect people to make our, demo, our, our governance decisions on our behalf. And then like essentially we don't really have any say again until the next election where we get to vote them in or, vo- or, or vote someone else in. Mm-hmm. Um, the direct democracy system would have people constantly and actively participating in making the decisions about how our countries, towns and cities are organized. And Sounds great. That's basically... That's basically what she wants to sell us. That's what Rosalind talks about. She spends a lot of time talking about how they used to do in ancient Athens, including this amazing ancient Athenian stone powerball machine that I never heard about before, but it sounds so good. It sounds so if great. It, I want to bring that I back. I vote for that. I'm voting for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh yeah. And uh, yeah, Rosalind also recently just listened to the What I'm Canada episode. And as a Canadian, she, um, yeah, let's just listen yeah. to what she thought. So when she said that she listened to, I was so self-conscious about how drunk I was during that episode. <laughs> I was doing the, the amount of mental gymnastics I was doing to try and remember what potentially offensive shit I said. Even though you edited it. Did you edit it drunk too? <laughs> I, oh, I might have done. I don't know. It's all a blur. Anyway, take it away, us. Look, Richie, I was supposed to come here with the, you know, the wits and stuff. I failed at that, which is why I'm asking fantastic guests like Rosalind in to join us. But... <laughs> It makes me look especially stupid when Rosalind's there early and has to witness me trying to open the door and then set up the studio. Oh, Ros, I'm so sorry. We're so bad. I, I survived. <laughs> Just about. Yeah. Speaking of which, I'm actually going to close my window so that that guy who plays Stormzy, who drives by really loud, doesn't interrupt our show again. There we go. We're going to have to start crediting him soon. Guy that plays Stormzy in Brixton. He's been having a great time with the World Cup. It's like he's doubled his rotation of driving past my house. <laughs> 
And uh, yeah, we've been recording a lot lately as well, so it's quite good for him. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's great for his brand because I keep mentioning him. <laughs> that guy. That guy. Yeah. Find out his Twitter handle and, and plug him. Cool. So, uh, Richie, we're in yeah. trouble. Why? 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 We're, why? We're, ta- we're talking to a Canadian. Oh, Jesus. Who, who's a political expert. Okay. And do you know what our last episode was? Oh, yeah. No, that was... I called... Or was, I don't know if you listened to the episode. I called Canada America's hat. And yes, I, I remember that part. <laughs> yeah, okay. And so is that like, I don't know, is that okay? Is that a, an actual technical definition that you guys use officially? Um, not, is, not, so, not so much. Oh, really? Well, how about <laughs> More what we specialize in is going down to America and, you know, asking them, you know, making fun of their ignorance. Right, okay. All things Canadian. Oh, okay. But um, but I did appreciate how you brought that out for the Fourth of July. You know, yes, <laughs> it's very classy, very subtle. You know? Yeah, really dab. That was our. That was really, to be honest, the entire premise of doing an episode on Canada was just to uh, give one to the Yanks. We appreciate and that. I thought you would. Yeah, I didn't. Like, I was kind of semi worried that oh no, the Canadians would be annoyed that we're using them to get back at America. But I think as long as you're getting at America, <laughs> get back like a jilted lover using an old flame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, that's all. That's we can. We're Ireland. We're Canada. We're not the big heavy hitters of the world. We have to take all these little hits when we can get them. Yeah, absolutely. But Rosalind, you're not here to talk about Canadian politics. No. Well, I'm here to talk about like all politics, the entire world. All the politics. Entire world. This is going to be a long episode. <laughs> and there's going to be no more episodes after this one. Rosalind's going to wrap up the whole. What she's finally going to answer? What am politics? Yeah, and, and it'll just be the end. You'll be like, okay, we've right got to shut it down. Yeah, there and we go. And she even managed to end it with that am politics. <laughs> So, Rosalind, you are a lecturer in international law, um, an author of Beasts and Gods, How Democracy Changed Its Meaning and Lost Its Purpose. How come political books have to have such long... Um, yeah. What's the, name, what's the name of the second title? I, I am Precipice. so glad. I am so glad you asked that because <laughs> I wanted to call this book The Democracy Delusion. Oh, that's good. And my Ooh. publisher changed it to Beasts and Gods, which is actually, it's a quote from Aristotle. So yeah. it's, you know, very highbrow. Mm. Says all the, thing, all the right things to all the right people. It's mm. the Greek thing. But it was not my... It was not my choice. I wanted to go for like more tabloidy, heavy hitting, like the democracy delusion, you know. That's actually that fits on a screen, right? Yeah, like, the, we had the the author we had on before as well. He um he he just wanted to call it the people versus tech, but then they made him put like another little press after, which like makes it sound a little bit less bad. Yeah, how the internet is killing democracy, and then in parentheses, and how we fix it. He didn't want that how we fix it in there at all. He was not very optimistic. Yeah, that's funny because like I I know I haven't read that book yet, but I know of it, and I thought that too. It's like why do they always have to put this and how we fix it thing on the end, you know, or, or how we save it. I don't know. I just don't like that. It makes it sound like a self-help book. Yeah. <laughs> and people, I guess it's kind of hard to sell people on a dystopian future, I guess. And a, a little a little bit of hope goes a long way. Maybe, maybe. Someone said my book was bleak on Amazon or something. Oh. I, don't think, I don't think it was bleak. No, it's not. Because no, you, it's not. Because you exactly. have ideas on how to fix things. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it starts off bleak. It kind of goes downhill first. And then, not- and then you kind of, it's like a roller coaster. You kind of like hit bottom <laughs> and you turn around and it starts going up, you know. Wow. Maybe, maybe they didn't get to the end, you know. Maybe they're just like, I went downhill. I'm scared. I'm getting off. I give up. I'm jumping off this roller coaster. Okay. Rosalind, you're presently getting ready to host a convention about democratic ideas yep. in the north side of Dublin. Yeah. And this this episode is actually going to come out on Tuesday the... 17th. 17th. And yeah. then your... Convention starts on the 18th. 18th. And runs on for how many days? Until the 20th. Yeah. So people that are living in Dublin, Ireland, who are listening to the podcast just in time should be able to actually check it out and go if they would like. Yeah, definitely. And is it true to say that one of the main components of that is talking about how we can use direct democracy more to start to help our own system? Yeah, like our focus is kind of more on digital democracy. But okay. so to, to back up a little bit, like the Greek system 
which is what I studied uh, when I wrote my PhD and what my book was based on, uh, was very much more of a, of a direct system in that people participated in decision making in a variety of ways that were channeled um, so that people could have like a, a direct say on laws, um, a direct say in the courts, a direct say in kind of an administration, which was kind of done randomly in a quite complex manner. Um, and when I did that, like I finished my PhD back in 2010. And I thought at that point, I thought, OK, you know, it'll be possible probably to do that someday. Now, you know, now with technology, right? I mean, the Greeks had about 40,000 citizens. So, of course, it was easier for them mm. uh, to meet face to face, you know. Um, and then a few years later, people actually started doing that, actually started making tools. Um, like I think Lumio in New Zealand was one of the first one I came across. Uh, the one I use myself now is Othello, which is from Canada. Um, but they actually allow people to participate directly online and kind of mimic the way you would make face to face decisions, except online. So for the first time in like 2,500 years, we really see a way that people can circumvent an electoral representative system that a lot of people aren't very happy with and which has a lot of flaws in it, statistical flaws, other flaws, um, to actually make decisions more directly on a kind of a mass basis, because that's what participation in Athens was all about. It was mass participation. Hmm. So let's go back to the flaws about the current okay, system cool. before yeah. we start to talk about the bad one. Um as as a system, you don't think that the rep, or sorry, I don't want to put words in the mouth, but do you think that the representative parliamentary executive kind of mash of government that we have in most countries in the Western world, you think that that has got too many problems for us to just let it lie and that it should actually be fixed? It's just not even democracy. Like um, the system we use is actually based on a Republican Roman system, um, the electoral system. So the idea that people run for election and then they hold power for a certain set amount of time in Rome, it would have been one year in our societies, it's usually four or five years. And then there's another brief competition and then whoever comes out on top holds power again for four or five years. This is actually not a democratic idea and the Romans themselves did not think this was democracy. They would have said explicitly, like, we're not a democracy. We are um, a form of elite rule where the betters and the aristocrats rule on behalf of everyone else and you get to have a teeny tiny say in which one does that ruling every few years. So when the founding fathers of America broke with Britain and decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to make a new kind of system here, what are we going to do? Um, they actually knew a certain amount about both Rome and Athens, and they decided we definitely do not want an Athenian democracy. Uh, we do not want people to be involved in politics all the time. Uh, and they did that because they thought, you know, mo most people are poor people. And obviously then the poor will have their way, you know, they will uh, make terrible economic rules that will, uh, for example, take property away uh, from richer people. And so they decided we're going to have a republic. And actually, there was a very long, drawn-out battle uh, about this between two different camps, one called the Federalists, one called the Anti-Federalists. Um, and they wrote quite a lot of essays about this. Or, you know, the Federalist Papers are a series of essays that deal partially with this issue of um, that there should be a republic instead of a democracy in the United States. And then that system just got copied all around the world. And it's what we call democracy today. Although even at the time, even at the time of the founding of America, this was not generally called democracy. That really only started to be called democracy uh, in the 1900s, really. Hmm. So the, direct, you're saying direct democracy has its roots in Athens, in yeah. Athenian history. Uh, so how did that actually work back then? Like, what was the systems in place? Like, how did this manifest on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, okay. So the the one of the main, the most recognizable kind of forum that the Athenians had was called the Assembly. So what they would do is they would meet every, it was supposed to be sometimes every week, sometimes it was less often, but they met at a certain spot um, and they would speak for or against motions and then by vote, uh, by show of hands, they would pass those motions, right? Those laws mm. uh, into being. So that's one thing. However... 
that work was supported by a lot of randomly chosen officials. So people were chosen to become officials in Athens randomly. Um, and one of those random bodies was a kind of administrative body that set the agenda, for example, for the assembly and took care of some other tasks. But then you'd have officials who were in charge of like keeping the streets clean and so on and so forth. And when you say randomly, is that your name being pulled out of your hat and you said you have to do this job now? Yeah, it was like... The, the principle is the same, except they actually invented a machine for doing this. It was called a clerotarian, and it was basically a stone machine, and it had little um, notches cut on the side, rows of notches. So the Athenians had like kind of tickets, like identity cards back then, uh, and they would throw all their identity cards into a basket. Then someone was randomly, they would pick one out of the basket, and that person, the person whose name was originally picked, would pick out all the other tickets out of the basket and shove them into those notches one by one. Then, in another step, uh, they would take a bowl of black and white balls and drop them down a funnel on the side of the thing. Oh my god! Of the this sounds so next- much fun. Yeah, it was it's actually. Like the, it was it's fun. like the lotto. It, it, yeah, exactly. It's like the lotto. It's like if you think of like the kind of bouncing balls, yeah. like, you know, kind of really similar to that. So if you got a black ball next to that row, you were you were not chosen for service. But if you got a white ball next to your row, then you were you were in. And what were people's attitudes? Were they yeah. cheering when they got? chosen or were they like damning themselves because they have to be like the sanitation commissioner this year? Yeah, well, that, that, that bit we don't know okay. <laughs> how excited they got. You had to put yourself forward. So oh, you if you did. totally didn't, you know, you uh, have to be like, I'm going to show I up and put my name tribute. in. Exactly right. And of course, it was good to contribute because first of all, you got paid a little bit for doing it. Um, and then secondly, you know, if you wanted to speak for a motion in the assembly, then if you were like, if you had a reputation of being a person who really got stuck in, then people would have a better opinion of you mm-hmm. than if you were some person who you know, never did anything and just showed up once, you know, once in a while for the big show, right? So it was part of like keeping their reputation intact to kind of go and, and contribute to the to the society, right? Mm-hmm. You're a good citizen, mm-hmm. like um, you are today. You know, like people are today who do who you know, work for, at the Red Cross or, you know, Concern or whatever, right? Or podcasts. Or podcasts, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a no, hard we're, all life. The same, we're all the same kind of, you know. No, no, Richie, you can't use this. You're definitely getting put into that big machine and you're getting rolled and I I'm, I am only going to make sure that you're going to be the sewage inspector. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I um, think I'd be pretty good at that. Yeah, okay, and then and then it goes on. They also had courts. So courts in Athens were jury courts, but they were like really big juries compared to the amount of the population. Like you'd have about 200 people or maybe up to 6,000 people, and they would decide not just on criminal cases, but also on constitutional cases. And then also every person, any person could bring a case. So they could say, I think that law was not constitutional. So I'm going to drag, drag the person who proposed the law in front of the court, and we're going to have another go at this in front of a court. How much was religion involved in this? Um, they had, okay, so like, it's really funny you should say that because people, people don't usually talk about that, but like, yeah. um, of course the Athenians had a completely different religion than we did, right? And I mean, the Romans did too. So like, it wasn't really an idea of like original sin or, mm. you know, they were very, 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 let's just say forward thinking and progressive. Mm. I've on, seen this, I've seen the statues. Yeah, right. Exactly. On, on some points, let's just say, um, <laughs> they did kind of have maybe an idea of fate kind of governing people's lives to some extent. And some people have suggested that's maybe why they didn't mind lotteries as much because they figured, well, you know, it's fate. Like, you know, it's fate. Been, it has fate been is, written. <laughs> fate's the ultimate decider. Although that's not really manifest in all their other attitudes. Like they went out and waged wars and, you know, really, really looked after their own interests very aggressively. So mm. that, that wasn't really, you know, just just fate there. <laughs> so how long did this system last and how, and how come they're not still doing that in, in Athens? Oh, yeah. Okay. So this lasted for like about... 
I would say like the the period of what we call like classical democracy was 140 years. But before that, there was like about another 60 or 80 years at least of almost all the way there, like kind of a transition phase to full democracy. Um, so what happened in the end is that Alexander the Great, um, basically, who's from Macedonia, basically took over like the entire world. Like <laughs> he was he was kind of almost worshipped as a god, you know, to some extent during his own time and, and afterwards. Because, But if you look at what he did, it's kind of understandable. Mm. I mean, the guy just looked at every damn thing he came across. Said mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm telling that. And dude. just kept going, like, all the way to India until his troops were finally like, look, dude, <laughs> this, this has got to stop This world somewhere. is getting really weird. Yeah, we, we don't even, <laughs> you know, who cares, right? I mean, so, and then, and then, he, and then he dies, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, and his empire kind of falls into, into different sections, basically. Didn't he die when he was, like, not even 30? Yeah, really yeah. young. Anyway, yeah, yeah, like, about Late, that, late yeah. 20s, yeah. So, was, what have you done, Richie? Um, oh, I saw a blimp one time. <laughs> I think I mentioned really f- that a year ago on the podcast. <laughs> That's no. not really fair because he, he was born royalty, so he had he def- he had a life. Yes, Steve. Life. <laughs> All right, whatever, Richie the Fine. <laughs> yeah, damn right. That's my porn name, but go on. <laughs> oh, God. So it was Alexander the Great basically swept in and said, this democracy thing that you Athenians are doing, that's no good. You have to be part of my empire now. Yeah, everybody has to be part of the of, of the empire. All the Greeks. I need the Greeks. He he wanted to unite the Greeks behind him in order to go out and conquer everywhere to exercise his megalomania to the to the fullest. And then after that, they didn't really get another chance to set it back up. There was too many. Yeah, other... after oh. that, it just kind of faltered. And... and so, is this where we see the transition of like direct or pure democracy into what is non pure democracy? Like you were saying that what we have now isn't really that democracy. Like at what point did the branding and the, the the kind of definition become muddier? Only only in the 1900s. Only very recently. Before that, like the Romans existed simultaneously mm-hmm. to, to this what's going on in Athens. So like they you know they knew about each other, um, and the Romans had their own different system. And it, not just that, like the idea of democracy was not popular at all back then. Everyone thought the you know the Athenians had a reputation of being kind of crazy, almost like hippies compared to <laughs> other people you know this idea the idea uh, that was anchored in most people's minds were that you know aristocrats were superior there is a reason they ran the show and only you know the elite who were often the only people who could even read and write um should be running things and so athens was was a real aberration even the whole time during its existence and it's it was never out of it's the idea that democracy was good was never out of question all of the elite Writers, we would say, you know, Aristotle, Plato, they all were not fans of democracy. So we have to, we know what they thought of it, you know, the, the people who could read and write and, and wrote a lot. Um, and then we kind of have to piece together what everyone else was actually doing based on, you know, archaeological finds or what they said, when, you know, someone like Aristotle wrote about the democracy. So kind of tying it back to how it could be implemented here for for this to work properly, as we imagine it did in Athens for the couple of hundred years that it was there, did the the general populace and not the, the guys who wrote stuff down, do you think that they had like a, g- a good level of awareness and critical thinking about the system that was going on and engagement? And is that what we need to have for this to work now? Yeah, although it's kind of like what comes first, like the chicken or the egg. So um, in a society where people aren't making decisions and aren't involved in politics, then of course you get more apathy because people will say, well, what difference does it make? What I do, you know, and you know, there might not be another election coming for a while. So, you know, what's the point, right? People, you get kind of sick of it after a while as well, listening to politicians scream at each other, kind of oh, like yeah. the sa- same old thing again and again. 
um, in Athens, yes, people were participating on a daily basis. And that's like the real difference is that they had to go down to the courts. They reckon that the average person had to get down there like one out of seven days just to like make up these huge numbers um, of people sitting on juries. Uh, you were supposed to go to the assembly. So about 15 or 20 percent of the voting population would be at assembly every time it met, you know, and then there's all the officials on top of this all. So you're having a really high percentage of people involved in politics on a daily basis, which means it's kind of gets almost impossible for them to be ignorant of mm. what's going on since since they're always there. So you don't think there's a danger of entrusting too much power to what the Romans would call the mob? Yeah, I think, you see, Rome, Rome, the Roman Republic did disintegrate due to mob rule, right? Mm. Um, the, the politicians begin eventually, and we can kind of see this happening now as well. You know, they start to throw everything under the bus. In the beginning, the Roman Republic had these gentlemen's rules, right? And they were very strict people, actually. Um, and then eventually... Uh, having power becomes everything because with power you can accumulate more wealth and with wealth you can hold on to your power and gradually people start to cheat a little bit about who gets elected and eventually the generals start basically um, getting their soldiers to vote for them in elections, right? So now things start to get quite dangerous because you have people, popular generals, you know, very successful generals, basically ordering their troops to vote for them, or rather their troops are voting for them because they're so popular and so good at delivering loot. And then you have these generals starting to fight with each other for supremacy in Rome, and eventually the whole thing just goes to pot. And, you know, you do have you have people whipping up mobs in, in Rome, you know, to get what they want to have done. Julius Caesar. Uh, absolutely, right? Like, and it, you know, kind of like the final stage is basically Julius Caesar, right? Um, so... Uh, the problem is that really, in a sense, you, the electoral system does lend itself almost more to mob rule because politicians can come in and they can promise you this, that, and the other thing. Everyone, in a sense, knows it's not really real. But who are you going to vote for? Obviously, the person who promises you things, not the person who doesn't. And it's very hard, even like I, I ran in the last national election, it's very hard to kind of take a more sensible, non-ideological, non-extreme position. You don't get you find it harder to get media attention. Um, you kind of aren't really giving anybody completely what they want. You know, if you're kind of trying to say we have to go kind of kind of middle way on some things. Um, so it, it's very, actually very, very hard to run campaigns from that if you want more middle position, actually. And therefore, you know, the system in itself starts to like kind of inherently reward the people who say the craziest things or the people who make the most promises. Um Whereas democracy is more like, okay, if the Athenians decided they were going to take a policy, it's like that policy counted from tomorrow. So if you if we're going to raise taxes, like that's your tax bill. If you're mm. going to go fight someone, you're getting into your armor like now. And not just it's it's not just so like an aristocrat who's not going to actually fight the Athenians are the ones who are going to be putting on their own armor and then going out and fighting the war that they voted for. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So there's like very serious consequences that are very immediate to everything that's happening. And that does tend to sober you up like really fast. I mean, you know, you'll find that, you know, when people go buy, you know, they make purchases in their lives and, that, and things like that. People, you know, it's kind of a libertarian thought, but like people are often relatively responsible in their personal behavior. Uh, and that's because they often suffer consequences when they make mistakes. You know, you don't run around down the street or you know what I mean? You don't you don't too often run into traffic, you know, without looking because you know that there's yeah, going to be consequences you, if you if You, you do don't that. know me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so it's that kind of idea, like that the democracy does have this flip side of like responsibility and accountability, and like you will pay if you do things wrong. But you know, take a look at Ireland, for example, with the bank 
bailout, right? Um, you have this situation where, you know, we're stuck with this bank bailout that no one really agreed to. Um, therefore, everybody resents. Therefore, nothing, you know, there's been actually no real clear choice made. Like, do we have to suck it up and go, okay, well, if we don't agree to this bank bailout, they're probably going to tank us and the multinational companies might leave and we might be worse off. Or do we say, no, like, like let's, let's not do this. Let's make a stand. Let's not pay them. We might go through a few hard years, but like we're committed to that, right? I mean, that's the advantage of a democracy like Athens. You can say, okay, we've had a big conversation. We're committed to this thing we've decided to do. Now it's everybody's playing both sides. And, and it gets very, very confused and kind of leads to the mob behavior. I'll give you A, I'll give you B, vote for me, you know, free things forever, right? You see this Donald Trump classic example, right? Yeah. So in the Greek system, it was a little bit easier because granted, they did have big international organizations like the Persian Empire coming in to try and take them over and stuff like that. But they didn't necessarily have something like the WTO or the Google multinational organization with its tax bases in 17 mm -hmm. different places, or it didn't have UN committees on maritime law where basically you have all these different decisions being made that will affect everyone in Ireland. So if we were to take it to Richie's mother, who lives in Kildare, mm. <laughs> who does like thinking about politics, she's a listener of this podcast, which is why I'm getting very She's a very, very woke individual. <laughs> very woke. How in the direct democratic um, system, how is Richie's mum supposed to influence these kind of big international, multinational things? Yeah, that's another another good question because that's actually what I started from. Like, I'm not a historian. I actually studied law and specialized in international law. And I started asking, how the hell can we deal with these international organizations that are even worse than anything that happens on, an, on a national level because you lock yourselves into treaties? Um, but I think... Well, even worse in the sense that... Like, what do you mean by even worse? Okay, even worse in the sense that there's even less, like, representation in a sense because you vote for your local TD, let's just say. There's already some skewing in that, like some uh, statistical um, discrepancies in who gets who gets elected. So it, it, who's in the doll isn't really reflective of how, totally reflective of how people voted. Um, then they elect a government, and then they send a representative off to, like, let's just say, the United Nations or wherever, uh, or the WTO, for all I know, to to negotiate. I mean, you're now down to someone who represents like maybe like 15% of the population or something, you know, after after all of those steps. And then when they're there, especially a country like Ireland, now we get back to like Ireland and Canada. Canada's a bit more powerful. And I mean, Ireland does have a say kind of through the European Union on, on for example, trade, right? Sure, but Canada we, we, takes up a lot more of the map. So you do guys, you, yeah, you get the muscle in. Yeah, <laughs> more than strong. That, more of the GDP, yeah. So, so but you're basically kind of getting it mowed over and like you'll be lucky if one or two of your positions gets into the final um, paper or treaty. And I mean, all the more so as very big powers play all kinds of tricks to try to get their way. You know, they come with very, very large delegations. Um, and basically, you know, there's reports I've, Red reports anyway coming out of the WTO. Like they, they'll just negotiate all through the night, like 24-7, because they have such big teams of delegates there. And meanwhile, the poor uh, delegate from, let's just say, Angola or something is like, you know, one person or two person yeah, team. I gotta go to bed. They have to sleep sometime, <laughs> you know. Like it's just, it's like that crass in a way that they're literally like wearing people down, yeah. you know, and there's all kinds of little little tricks like that that they, they will play. The ben and um, Bob from America just t like one is the AM, one is the PM and they tag in and out. Yeah. 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 So so the question is, OK, to get back to the question, like, how can you in Kildare? You know, I talk to my mom actually all the time about, about politics, too. She's also a very, a very woke. My <laughs> mom's better than your mom. <laughs> my mom doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> I, I think I think I think moms are actually great for talking to politics about because it does, you know, because they do always ask you, how does this work? How is that going to, <laughs> going to work? So. 
I think I, I came to the conclusion that you'd have to fix democracy on a national level first. Basically, if you knew what you were doing, if we were saying, okay, we're going to go, we are going to have to negotiate with other countries at this point, you know, we are organized into countries, countries have jurisdiction over us, you know, when I became an Irish citizen, now Ireland has jurisdiction over me and I owe my loyalty, you know, to, to the state of Ireland. To Michael D. Higgins. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, but if we, if we were to go, for example, and say, okay, we want to negotiate with, you know, Germany or we want to negotiate with China or whatever, at least our will in our country is fairly clear what we want to do, you know, what we've decided are our priorities. And, you know, you can send someone to negotiate and then come back and say, okay, guys, I don't know if we're going to get A and B, but what about C? And, you know, you can kind of vote on that. And to some extent, that's, that's what we do when we have referendums, to some extent. Like, I mean, it doesn't work very well, but... Um, yeah, we are, I think, the rare country in the European Union that actually does vote on the treaties that the countries yes. recognise and do. Yeah. Yes. And actually, did you did you did you pick up in your studies as to how that became a precedent in Ireland, whereas it isn't really anywhere else? Uh, because in the constitution, because of, uh, because it, it, you need to make a constitutional change in order to cede any sovereignty ah. uh, in Ireland and to give more powers to the EU is, is ceding Every sovereignty, time, yeah. and therefore it has to be agreed to by referendum. Yeah. Yeah, to allow well, the government to do that. A good thing from the Irish Constitution. What do you Yeah. Think? <laughs> well done, lads. The best thing about the Irish Constitution, I think. If you're a fan of direct democracy, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so on that subject, stuff like uh, Constitutional Convention and Citizens' Assembly in Ireland, would you consider these good examples of direct or pure democracy? Yes, to some extent. I mean, there are people who advocate that one should just make law in small bodies like that, right? It's called This is called sortition, this kind of lottery method of choosing people. Um I like how it's set up in Ireland. Actually, I really like how it's set up in Ireland um, because we kind of have the like pre-discussion, if you want, a kind of almost agenda setting through the Citizens' Assembly where they would say, okay, we are going to make 10 or 12 or 15 recommendations on something. But then that up until now anyway, they don't all have to go to referendum because they don't all require constitutional change. Mm -hmm. But the ones we've had so far have required constitutional change. So they have gone to the people as a whole to make a final decision on that. Um, I don't, I wouldn't be a fan of just making decisions with like 100 people or 200 people um, because it's such a small body, it would be quite easy to corrupt. And also it's hard to have like legitimacy if you're just 200 people uh, in a state of four and a half million people, you know, like those people haven't been involved in that decision, you know. So you have to, democracy is like, some people, a lot of the time I think there's kind of been this idea of like, democracy is the great and the good and it's all wonderful and it's, you know, it's kind of connected to all good things. But really democracy, is it's a method of politics, it's a method of resolving conflicts. And if you don't have that debate with all of those people, you're not going to get to a conflict resolution point, which is what you need. So by cutting people out of debate and just deciding with very small numbers of people, you're not having that that purpose that democracy fulfills of allowing people to kind of debate a lot, quite a, quite a lot and potentially quite contentiously, but to eventually reach, you know, a final uh, mm. resolution. That's interesting, that. actually. So even just from from the campaigning narrative point of view, you would think it, you, do you think it, it doesn't serve democracy well for it to be held up as this big lofty moral good as it is so often by, say, like American politicians or even European, like people try to say, oh, the European project is about democracy and therefore just even using the word makes it a good thing. Whereas could it be better to actually just say, actually, as a system of governance, it is a better way to resolve conflicts and make sure people don't feel like they're getting shafted. And it, it should we should talk about democracy more, not just as being like an almost religious, sacred thing and actually just being a better system to organize than, than alternatives. Yeah, because there's so much connected to it. You know, there's so much, it's almost like a, re yeah, like a religious 
feeling, as you said, connected to it, that it, you kind of then don't see the forest for the trees. I mean, sure. You, democracy, can't, you can't criticize it. It's if impossible. If yeah. If you're, well, yeah. If you're fighting like a monarch or something, I guess, you know, I guess I can kind of see where it came from because I suppose as compared to absolute monarchy, yeah, I agree. Democracy is lots better. Um, but at the end of the day, just because you make one mistake or one bad decision or, you know, I do think in a democracy, people will continue to make the occasional mistake and the occasional bad decision. Um, that doesn't mean that necessarily uh, it's still not a, a good system of coming to decisions together, right? I mean, if you say people, if you come from the point of view saying that people are politically equal and everyone should have a say uh, in political decisions in a country, then in a sense, democracy is almost your only choice because it's the only thing that fulfills those criteria. But does that mean everything's going to be great every day from now on? No. I believe democracy has oh. a better track record <laughs> than, than other forms of government. But, you know, there's a there's every everything's a matter of a matter of decisions and everything's a matter of, you know, all decisions are trade offs. So mm. there's not, you know, and this is the thing about electoral politics. It has gotten us used to this magic fairyland where, like, you know, everything will be terrific, you know, and everything's going to be wonderful if only you vote for this person or this party or whatever. I mean, all policies are just plus and minuses. So you might get something good and then for the alternative, you know, think something sucks, right? Like, if you look at Canada, we have um, in Canada, there is universal public health care, which is great in many ways, right? Like, you go to the doctor, no one in Canada thinks about money at all, right? I mean, this is just does not come into question in people's heads. Essentially the same as the U, as the UK and the NHS. Exactly, yeah. right, exactly. However, for that, like, there's some treatments that aren't available in Canada because, of course, since we're centrally organized, um, we decide, like, what makes sense to fund and what doesn't. So sometimes people have to go to the United States for treatment. Like, more experimental treatments would be available in the United States that are not available in Canada. Um, the government keeps a relatively tight... Um, kind of control of how much is spent on healthcare. So you will wait longer if you have something that is not life-threatening, which you won't do in the United States. So mm. if you're quite well off, and especially if you're extremely wealthy, of course, in the U.S. you can buy you can buy your way to things, right? In Canada, you can't. You know, you're you're, you're stuck there with what you with what you have. So personally, I think that's fine. That's a great trade-off, and I think for most people, it's a great trade-off. But it's not like an absolute thing, you know. There's always there's always the Plus and minuses with with everything in life. Speaking of those plus and minuses, do you think that if we were to switch over tomorrow to a pure direct democracy setup, people would be ready to not have politicians to blame for all of society's ills? Do you think they wouldn't just invent another other? I think that's funny because I do think that's one of the big things people don't like about direct democracy is like, but who would I complain about? Yeah. <laughs> you know, who would I like complaining about people? <laughs> I like complaining about politicians. You know, it's almost like almost like you've cut someone's legs out from under them. Yeah, it <laughs> would know? make our job an awful lot harder doing these kind I of podcasts just thinking that. because it's a lot easier just to complain about Donald Trump, Theresa May, the EU and all that, because there are these others, these elites that we can just point to and say, but if it was if if the responsibility was in our hands, then we'd actually have to talk about things like policy and oh, and God. decisions and oh god, it'd be and very then, tough. And then Steve, if we fucked up, there'd be big Stephen Ritchie baby balloons flying over <laughs> yeah. various cities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. The Athenians were very like if someone proposed a law and that did not work out, they were John, like, that was a crap law. Yeah, seriously. You know, your your <laughs> stock went down big time. So yeah, yeah, it's it's easy to criticize. It's hard to be constructive. But in a sense, it's like the condition of being a child almost, you know, just being dependent, you know? You can complain, oh, you know, it's like being a teenager, like a perpetual teenager, right? You bitch about your parents. But then, you know, you move out and you have to do your own laundry and 
and, and everything. And you have to, you know, life gets more, you know, you focus more on what you're doing as opposed to complaining about what other people are doing. And yeah, it's kind of a question of like, do you want to grow up and be like politically mature, I guess? No. no. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people would say no. I also think like you got to remember, like, could you do this from tomorrow to from today to tomorrow? No, you can't. Like, you can't make changes that fast, right? So change would probably become more gradually anyway. And it did come more gradually in Athens as well. So you're talking about revolution rather than evolution. No, evolution rather than revolution. No, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely feel like more revolution. Oh, okay. I just feel like, you know, even if you look back at revolutions, like, I mean, like the French Revolution didn't happen in one day. No, it happened over a couple of years and a lot of people died. Right, exactly. Yeah, you know, you and know. then they had Napoleon. Yeah, right, exactly. But um, my point is, even something like that, which You're is right. like a major revolution you know, in world history, didn't happen instantly either. So, you know, things generally take a, take a little while. But I want change now. I thought you just said you wanted politicians so you could complain about them. I want a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> this is the problem. This is what we're dealing with. <laughs> you imagine a bunch of me's making decisions. No, <laughs> don't make me. <laughs> Rosalind, you're not just an academic talking head who appears on podcasts to talk about incredibly complex um, political systems. You are actually someone who puts your money where their mouth is and runs for election. So you you ran in the last Irish general election. Is that correct? Yes, I did. Yeah. And what was your campaign based on? Okay, it was based on on implementing digital democracy, um, and also you know. What I've done is I've asked people, like, I've actually run these kind of online decision-making processes um, that a lot of people in my area have volunteered to do. Um, so out of that has come a lot of my policies, right? So I have policies now, like concrete policies, right? Like I was in favor of repeal the 8th um, based on what people have said they want me to do. Um, and, you know, I have policy on health and education and things like that. But, yeah, my commitment is that I, you know, ask my voters what they want me to do before making a decision. You actually, can you talk about those tools that you're yeah. saying about leveraging the internet to, to get yeah. this kind of mass collection of voices um, filtering into to, to one singular direction? Can you talk about a little bit about those tools and how you use them and how they've evolved? Okay, so the tool I use is called Othello. Um, but there's a bunch there's a bunch of different ones out there where actually this is actually a big part of what Demcon is focusing on is, you know, kind of showing people these tools and, and how you would use them. The one I use is basically like people log on and I in advance, make up the questions, right? Now, it doesn't have to be that way, but I do it because, again, you know, change doesn't come instantly, so there's there's a, a, a limit to how much I can ask people to do. Those are either questions relating to big issues in Ireland, like, for example, the Eighth Amendment, mm. or things that have come up while I've been canvassing, you know? Like, for example, one thing that came up while I was canvassing is the social housing list should be transparent so people know when they're going to get a social house instead of just sitting in limbo for years and years and years, right? So it's kind of a mixture of those things. You, people can see the statement and then you say, do I totally agree? Do I somewhat agree? Am I neutral? Do I slightly disagree? Do I completely disagree, right, with this statement? <laughs> it's it's a fuck, marry, kill of these policies. <laughs> That's the system. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, maybe we should do that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Richie and, has I, a habit of explaining people's own ideas to ways that make them go, holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, people can comment, right? So you can you can put information. I usually try to put, like, budgetary information. Or I, used, I try to find, like, pro and against arguments for all these things. Uh, people themselves, you know, you, they can debate it. So you can leave a comment. You say, I totally disagree with that because A, B, and C. Someone else can come back and go, no, you're on. Um, uh, and you can, so you can kind of have a debate with other people. And you can, you know, have links to other information as well. You know, look at this article here, you know. I mean, you're totally wrong because of what this says, right? Um, and then, so what comes out of that is, like, it's not just yes or no either. It's kind of like more of a spectrum, 
which people can see, so they can see that while they're participating. You can be like, hmm, I wonder what everyone else says about this, and just go and take a look. Be like, hmm, I'm not so sure. Okay, fine. Neutral, right? You can also be neutral. Like, people don't have to have a strong opinion on everything. Um, and then in the end, you can wait what you want. So you could say, for example, the environment is very important to me. I'm going to really, like, wait that you know, high, um, whereas like economics is less important or something like that, right? So, so you can kind of say, where do I want like most of my votes to go uh, in that? And then people can see how, how did people vote? And then I take that and I filter out just the people who live in Fingal, which is my area. Um, and then I use that as a basis to form my policy. And if you got elected, would you have to put every single one of the votes that you were going to have to make onto this tool and try and get your decision from the people that you're representing. I think that ultimately that's what I wanted to do. I think in the beginning I'd probably try to put as like the big ones on there because it does take a while. It, the challenge is at this point really getting like the word out and making people aware like this is going to happen, right? I mean, everyone knows when there's an election because the parties are all saying, screaming that there's an election. Every newspaper is saying that there's an election. And there's for posters. Anybody, yeah, for everyone who hasn't <laughs> been to Ireland, these entire geographic vision of Ireland just becomes politicians' head looking at you with awkward smiles. Yeah. And it's, it's like horrible. shitty gift wrapping around our entire country. You know what's kind of funny? Like, I put on there posters, like, there shouldn't be any election posters or there should only be in certain spots. And that's like one of the most popular things. Everyone always mm. jumps behind it, but then they forget about it until the next election happens and then they remember again. It's yeah, like, that's true. It's like every, true. everyone's saying how much it. they hate them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> after the ref, after the, uh, the 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 Eighth Amendment referendum, everyone's talking about how much they hated all the posters, but mm. for a day, and then they forgot about it, and now the exact same conversation is going to happen again in, in the autumn when the referendums and the and the presidential election happens. Yeah, exactly. So so right. So but but not everybody knows that I'm doing my digital democracy thing, right? So well, they the do actual, now because you're on the show. Yeah, they will. Yeah, <laughs> everyone will know. Job done. Yeah. So <laughs> that's that's actually where the biggest effort is, is like getting the word out and making people aware that that's happening. Did you, you use know? posters last time? No, I do not use posters because my constituents don't want me to. But so I Aww. might do like I might do like bus station posters or something like that because people don't mind that or yeah. something like that. But no, I don't do posters on the street lamps. They are stupid. It's mostly all sky riding. They, well, they're just they're just <laughs> they're just kind of stupid anyway. They're just a big picture of your head. <laughs> like they don't they don't say anything yeah you know? I, yeah they're, they're very like there's a, a distinct lack of creativity <laughs> in uh in in the posters back home in ireland when it comes to election time like you're right they all follow the exact same format the same color palettes and the same couple of fonts yeah and the same kind of really lame picture of you like yeah kind of half smiling quite often if the politicians been there for a while for 20 years ago and they don't look anything like that anymore i know yeah, yeah. I, I would I would be so tempted to vote for someone if they're doing like a sexy over the shoulder. Oh, hello there! I didn't see you. <laughs> or like a tiger, With like a little dog. I'll keep that yeah. in mind. <laughs> so tell us about your new book in defense of democracy. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, my new book is based. Well, since the old the first book came out in late 2015, and back then, you know, there was people were quite interested in democracy. Obviously, I think the campaign was really already on in the United States you know, mm. um, for the presidential campaign. So there's a lot of interest in democracy, but like people weren't saying there shouldn't be democracy. Uh, but since the election of Trump and Brexit, that's actually become a quite um, quite mainstream argument in a lot of academia and journalism. Like people shouldn't be allowed to decide on things, look at Trump, look at Brexit. People are just too stupid. Uh, we really shouldn't have direct decisions. Um, it's not something that you hear as much in Ireland, but it's something that's kind of become almost normal in the US. And written like in these kind of sort of chattering classes, I suppose one would call them. So writing this book actually wasn't my idea. Actually, a publisher approached me and said, hey, like we've seen a lot of your writing. It's maybe, nice when that happens. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Why, why don't you write? Well, it kind of is. It kind of isn't when you're in the middle of 
planning a big convention because I've been basically working seven days a week for the last, um, I don't know, eight, nine months. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, it's like convention, 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 writing, 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 convention, writing, you know, canvassing in between. So, um, yeah, so, so I thought, okay, I thought, yeah. Like when they wrote me that, I thought, yes, I want to do that. I so want to write that book and kind of tell people why why there should be democracy, why getting rid of democracy or controlling democracy or trying to kind of put the blame on people and saying people are the problem with democracy is actually not the truth. I mean, if you just look at something like the presidential election in the U.S., the idea that Trump is president of the U.S. is used again and again and again as, you know, bludgeoning people are just so stupid. They don't know what's good for them. They voted for Trump. Actually, three million more people voted for Hillary Clinton than voted for Trump, right? Um, so the problem is the Electoral College, which was put in place by the founding fathers in order to prevent the idiot mob running the show. Actually, that's what led to the election of Trump. And people should have known that because Al Gore also won 500,000 votes more than uh, George Bush back in 2000, and George Bush ended up being president. So these kind of electoral fluctuations are, like, known. You know, every, everyone knows that they happen. Everyone in political science knows that they happen. But there hasn't been an impetus to change the system. You know, even mm. though it's clearly not reflective, and you'd think everyone should be at least in favor of a reflective system. Um, the idea has been, no, people just don't know what to get for them. They're just, they were just too stupid, you know. They just, they just should have stayed, stayed the course, and no one should have voted for Trump, and they're terrible, and they're racist and bigoted, and blah, blah, blah. And there are racist and bigoted people, but probably not, like... 90% of people. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'd be screwed by now. Like, we'd, we'd be screwed by now if that were the case. So. Uh, you mentioned that you're canvassing. So are you getting ready to run for election again in Ireland? Yeah, I run, I'll run in the local election. So, see, another issue for running in Ireland is that what happens in the local elections is that people get co-opted onto seats. So it's happened in my constituency. And I really, I really appreciate the opportunity to complain about this is that already, you know, people, a lot of the counselors who want to retire have retired and named their successor. So that person gets to be a counselor already oh. now without having to run an election campaign. I thought it was just, um, I know about co-option from when a counselor is elected to the doll or to a different higher office, mm -hmm. they get to move on. I didn't actually know it's when you retire as well. You can do it. You can do it anytime. So, so now I'm, you know, I'm pretty put out about this because as an independent, I don't have anyone to hand me a seat. So I have to go and win an election from, you know, kind of the ground up. Whereas they're like, oh yeah, I'm counselor so-and-so, right? And and they kind of get to be in office for a year and then they can start taking credit for, you know, things because they're already in office. And which ward are you going to run in? Uh, my area is now they redrew the boundaries too, just just to keep things interesting. <laughs> so so my area is Rushlesk, Denebate. That's a north side double. Nice area. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, my brother's moving into that area soon, so you're going to have to knock great. on his door. That's great. Where is he moving to? Uh, he hates voting, though, so he's exactly the kind of person you need to he talk is. to. No, he is. No, I love that. I, I love people who hate voting and hate politicians. They're really, really my number one. Oh, Steve, Steve, can you give her a key to his house and then... You can just be waiting for him, like in a chair, and you turn around and you're like stroking a cat and going, "Hey, I hear you don't like voting. Sit down. Let's that discuss." That is awesome. Yeah, that'd, that'd be a great. Richie, way I think you over. should become my campaign advisor. You have so many good I think ideas. I've just been spitting out great ideas. Oh my god, you guys are turning me against this system because the idea of having Richie with this kind of access to control and power is just terrifying me. Never mind Donald Trump. Oh. I think he'd be a great campaign advisor. Look at all the creative ideas he's come up with already. It's true. Fuck Mary Kill for policies. Come yes. on, Steve. Yes. Yes, yeah. that's memorable. Skywriting. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I've said so many, I can't even remember them. Breaking, breaking and entering in order to win people over. 
<laughs> the over the shoulder look for the for the poster. The over the shoulder look. Come hmm. on, Steve. If every poster Tempting. has uh, everyone looking over their shoulder doing a little sexy tiger thing, hey, babe. politics would look very different in Ireland. It, would. it would. It would definitely attract people's attention, right? Like, okay. no one would forget you. In, in in my understanding of the system of direct democracy, it's presently two against one, so I'm going to have to concede and say, fine, <laughs> you guys go ahead with this. Uh, but also, I don't have to be part of it. So <laughs> the watch. system works. <laughs> for now, we will say thank you very much, Rosalind, for taking the time. And um, if anybody is in the Dublin area and wants to check out a very interesting convention, what, where's the website? What can they do? It's demcon.org. Um, so just go to the website, sign up. It's also on Eventbrite. So it should be one of the first things getting up on, on Eventbrite when you look for events in Dublin under politics uh, at this point. So just go to one of those two places and sign on. And it's at the Bracken Court Hotel in Bilbergen. Begins at 4.30 on Wednesday the 18th. Does it cost much to attend? It's 15 euros for a day, which includes lunch, however, or 25 euros for the whole thing. And that includes lunch on both days and tea and coffee. Very good deal. That is a steal. Yeah. Okay. That is a steal. Thanks very much. Thanks, Rosalind. Boo. Yes. <laughs> Back again. What did you think of that, Steve? That was feckin' fantastic. Rosalind is a very, very clever No, 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 no. I meant, what did you think of my ideas? Um, yeah, Revolutionary, I'm all for... Right? Yeah, I'm all for whatever it is you said that I thought was so important. I definitely didn't forget. Uh, it was like the sexy over-the-shoulder... Uh, yeah, no, I actually... Di- I, yeah, no, I didn't forget. And everyone else has just heard it. So look, come on, <laughs> stop blowing your own horn. The whole point, yes, yeah, just write them down on a piece of paper and put them towards the forum and we'll vote on them next week in our new... In our, no, our new direct... Democracy of Wadamtonia. <laughs> that would be called Wadamtonia. Wadamsburgs. What? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Okay, yeah, that is. <laughs> that was the original. That's what we need to stick uh, with. That's it. Yeah, that's the episode. If you guys like it, um, please be sure to review us on Apple Podcasts because that does help the show get out there, which is why everyone says it like this yeah. at the end of every episode that they do. <laughs> um, you can also follow us on Twitter at One on Politics. You can send us an email at uh, whatampolitics at gmail.com and if, if you want, you want to, if you want to leave us a voicemail we haven't plugged this in a while but go onto our website oh yeah. and there's a little button you can click and you can just leave us a little, a little voice recording it's quite nice yeah and if it's uh, if it's decent and if it's intelligent and if it's witty then there is a very high chance that you'll actually end up in the podcast yeah but if it's too much those things if it's too intelligent too witty we won't put it in because you know this is, our, this is our show we don't we don't want to promote you going off and setting up a, a rival better show with or uh, unless it's a podcast that again we can outsource to and I have to do that's that for true. that would that's be great true. that'd be great so you also got homework to go off and listen to Newsy because we have lots to talk about Brexit over there mm-hmm. um, and also if you're in the Dublin area and you want to hear more about direct democracy um, from the fantastic Rosalind Fuller and her fantastic cast of intelligent and speakers that she's going to have there it is demcon.org and it is happening in Balbriggan starting Wednesday after you listen to this podcast. All of the links you need are in the show notes. Yes. So that's about it, Richie. That's it. I'm going to go cook a yeah. steak. Oh, you bastard. Yeah. I want steak. Come over. Okay, yeah. All right. Um, just, I guess mine's going to have to be very well done. I'll check what the price of the flights are and, and, and then I'll see you in sometime tomorrow. <laughs> Great. I'll leave my cold steak out on the front steps for you. I can't hear you because I'm going to get sick now. Okay, goodbye. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.